0: Well, hello and welcome, friends, into this space together, whether you're watching us online or you're in person for a watch party at Jericho Center. Uh, My name is Brad. I'm part of the teaching and leadership team here at Jericho Ridge, and I'm so glad that you're participating in our community in this way. I want to begin our time together with a little story. It's a story of a man named Christopher McCandless. And he grew up in suburban Virginia in 1990. He graduated from Emory University with great grades. But shortly after that, he ceased communicating with his family. He gave away his college fund of almost $25,000 to Oxfam. And he began traveling across the Western United States. On April 28, 1992, McCandless hitchhiked to the Stampede Trail in Alaska. And there he headed down the snow-covered trail to begin an odyssey of self-discovery with only 10 pounds of rice, a 22 caliber rifle, several boxes of ammunition, a camera, his journal, and a small selection of reading material. And it's here where the story takes a bit of a tragic turn, because McCandless perished sometime around the week of August the 18th, 1992, after surviving for hundred and thirteen days in the wilderness. Author John Krakow wrote a best-selling book based on his journal entries, and Sean Penn turned his life into a feature-length movie in 2007. But There's various theories about what happened. Whatever you come to believe, what became evident was that McCandless died because he wasn't eating enough to sustain himself. The amount of calories he was expending every single day hiking and hunting and foraging was greater than the number of calories he was putting into his body. And so he went into, over time, a severe caloric deficit and his body weakened to the point where he effectively starved to death. One of the things that his story teaches us is that what you put in your body matters. How much you put in your body matters. And this is true whether it's physically, emotional, intellectual, relational or spiritual. And so we're going to talk a little bit today about what a healthy input, a healthy diet, looks like and what part the communion table for people of faith plays in that, especially during the time of COVID-19. Well, we're just into a new series here at Jericho entitled, Say What?, and we're exploring the hard or difficult sayings of Jesus. And we're going to see as we move through September and October that some of the things that Jesus said are hard because they're difficult to understand. And others of them are hard because the demands that they make on our lives are only too clear or we may not be in a space where we're ready to listen and obey. But today is one of those things that's just hard. So turn with me in your Bibles or on your device to today's text in John chapter six. And John 6 begins with a miracle, a feeding miracle. Jesus takes a few fish and five loaves of barley bread and he multiplies them to provide sustenance for a massive crowd. The text records that the number of men alone was 5,000 and there were women and children beside. And then right after this, Jesus and his disciples head over to the other side of the lake and the crowd gets in their boats, and goes to find this rabbi. Let's pick up the story in John chapter 6, verse 26, where the crowd has come and has found Jesus. And Jesus replies, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. Don't be so concerned, Jesus says, about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you, for God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. And they replied to Jesus, We want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, This is the only work that God wants from you. Believe in the one that he has sent. It's an interesting conversation that becomes increasingly clear. See, the crowd is not really interested in focusing on what Jesus is pointing them toward and inviting them to focus on. Jesus is continuously redirecting them toward spiritual realities, eternal life, belief at the deepest part of their beings. But the crowd really only came for the show, or do another one of those party tricks for us, Jesus, feed us, do something special. They're concerned with the temporary and the temporal, not the eternal. And it can be easy for us to judge the crowd and think, oh, those people, they're so shallow and so fickle. But friends, how many times have we also been tempted to fall into a similar way of thinking? I know there was a time uh, in my own life when I was in high school, I attended one of the largest charismatic uh, churches in the country, and there were always lots of signs and wonders conferences and healing ministry happening regularly. And I attended during that season, uh, made some visits to the Toronto Blessing as well. And for a season, I found myself so focused on the sensationalism of the miracles that I almost forgot about the triune God who is moving in power and in might. I found myself getting caught up in the spectacle of things and completely missing the spiritual element behind things. And that's really what Jesus is saying here to the crowds. Hey, You might be interested in what God is doing, but you also need to be interested in who God is and in relating deeply and personally to God. Because, friends, a miraculous sign is just that. It's a signpost. It is designed to point you and I to something beyond itself. And that's why Jesus says, oh, to the crowds, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. Don't be concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. So let me ask you, what are you spending your time seeking this fall? See, seeking takes time and it takes energy. So what are you seeking these days? Some of you are spending time seeking stability in a season of chaos, and that's pretty understandable. But where, I would ask, are you hoping to acquire that sense of stability come from? Jesus says, if you're going to spend energy on something, spend it seeking something that is eternally worthwhile and significant, not merely temporary or temporal. See, if you have spare energy and time this fall, you would be wise to spend that seeking after God and investing in some element of spiritual development and not simply spending another 90 minutes swiping up on social media or seeking to bury your exhaustion by planning another holiday time away as a means of escapism. Sit with the question for a little while. What do my actions indicate that I am seeking after? The language of the scripture is always invitational in this regard, friends. Things like, seek the Lord while God may be found. And we spend time seeking God by engaging in things like prayer or scripture intake. And if you want to try this out, or if this is new for you, Jenna has a group for women, and Joel Schachter has a group for men that meets on Wednesday mornings at the early time of 6 a.m. online, and you might want to join one of those groups this season, and you can register online for that. Uh, At Jericho, we encourage a simple structure of scripture intake called life journaling, and it helps create just a little bit of uh, some framework for seeking the Lord. It's something that I try to get up early and do uh, each day, immediately followed by my seeking after coffee, because that's a better sequence for me. And if you'd like to learn a little bit more about that, I'd be very happy to meet with you and show you how to seek after the Lord in that way. So reach out, uh, friend, if you'd like some help uh, in some coaching in that regard. Let's jump back into our text. Look, here again, we see that Jesus' hearers miss the point about what they should be seeking. Look with me at John chapter 6, reading in verse 30. They answered to Jesus, show us the miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you what can you do jesus after all our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness and the scriptures say moses gave them bread from heaven to eat and jesus offers them a corrective and says i tell you the truth moses didn't give you bread from heaven my father did and now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. And Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me, even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of those that he has given me, but I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last See, the crowd wants a sign, and they settle on another food miracle. This one's from the Old Testament experience of the ancient people of Israel. See after their miraculous deliverance from Egypt, the over one million women, men, and children began a 40-year season of wandering in the wilderness, in the desert. And the wilderness, as Chris McCandless found out, is not a great place for food sources. So God did a miracle for the ancient Hebrew people every single day. God provided bread, little round, tiny pieces of wafers that appeared on the ground with the dew each morning, six days a week for 40 years. It was called manna. And this manna literally sustained the nation during that season of wilderness wandering and so the people here say yeah that would do jesus bread from heaven make it happen for us then we'll believe in you and jesus turns the tables and says oh you want bread from heaven done i am the bread of life i am the true bread that comes down from heaven and i have come to give my life For the world. But lest the people miss the point, which we all have a tendency to do from time to time, Jesus presses in even further and deeper with the bread talk. Look with me at John 6, verse 48. Yes, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I offer so that the world may live is my flesh. And then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They asked. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me, and in the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. And many of his disciples said, "Mm, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? I get it why they would say that. It is confusing, gang. All of this talk, eat my flesh, drink my blood, it, it starts to make sense why in the first century, some of the ancient Romans, looking from the outside in at the church, accused the new Christians of cannibalism. They heard these whispers that people were feasting on the body of a deceased man. They heard rumors that at the Christian gatherings, they drank blood. But what they were missing was that Jesus was using himself as a sign. He was pointing to not something literal, but something deeply spiritual. In this discussion of bread, Jesus is picking up on the crowd's request for manna, and he's linking himself in to that Old Testament narrative, not just of the wilderness manna, but also of the Exodus event itself. You see, the Exodus was that great moment of deliverance that the Jewish people still celebrate to this day through the Passover meal. Our uh, Confession of Faith notes it this way. God instituted the Passover meal to remind Israel that salvation from bondage in Egypt was at a great cost. See, in Passover, there was a lamb that was slain and eaten on the Passover night. And the blood of that lamb was applied to the doorposts of homes of the covenant people. And that was to be an eternal witness to the salvation which God would miraculously provide in Jesus. It pointed forward. And so Jesus here uses the Passover imagery to reimagine for his followers what his own sacrifice of his life on the cross means. And Jesus is saying to his followers, just like you take a loaf of bread and you break it, and it provides as you feast upon it nourishment, so too I am the living bread, and this bread that I offer so that the world may live is me. It's my flesh. And just like bread gives sustenance to your physical body, so too Jesus gives up his body to provide sustenance for your soul. And you and I participate in this feast by responding in faith to the invitation that Jesus offers. Jesus says, come to me and you will never be hungry again. He's not saying that you'll never have to eat physical food again. He is saying that when you respond in faith, your soul will be satiated and filled at the deepest of levels. When he says, believe in me, it will quench your spiritual thirst in a way that nothing else in this world can satisfy. Anyone who does this? Jesus said, anyone who feeds on me, who receives their nourishment from me, will live because of me. And so I get it that people were confused and perhaps a little bit grossed out. Who in the world talks like this? Well, Jesus did. And part of it was because of what we talked about last weekend. Jesus wanted to make people who had only come to him for a free lunch, work a little bit harder and think more deeply about the true spiritual state of their lives. So remember here, Jesus isn't being literal, and he isn't saying, and we as Anabaptists do not believe, that the bread in the communion moment is somehow then transubstantiated, or once it's prayed for, it literally becomes the body of christ we don't uh, take it to that extent and we also do not believe in consubstantiation that once the bread is prayed over the presence of christ himself indwells the elements in some mystical and unique way those are the sacramental wings of the church but on the opposite end there's a group that says oh it's just a symbol it just sort of means something but we're not quite sure What See, here at Jericho, we live in this weird place. The bread is more than a symbol, but less than a sacrament. We're in that zone. So as Mennonite brethren, we prefer to talk about the bread in terms of being a sign or a signpost. It represents God's saving action in the past, and it does do something unique to link us together with Christ and also with one another in the present. That's why this is often called communion, because of the element of community, of togetherness that occurs when we gather around the table of the Lord. And that's also why it's sometimes called Eucharist, which is a word that simply means Thanksgiving. And this, friends, I think is probably one of those reasons why communion feels hard in the season of COVID. Because that sense of communal spiritual nourishment is actually a bit or a lot diminished. It's also incidentally one of the reasons why we wanted to start doing watch parties so we could begin to experience even in a limited way some of that sense of being together and nourishing the community's life in that way again. And that's why when we take the bread and when we take cup together, even if we're spread out across living rooms and basements and different places that we find ourselves, the linking of the Lord's Supper with Passover then also begins to make more sense, because both events center around salvation coming through sacrifice. They both remind us that freedom from bondage is possible, not just for the ancient people of Israel, but for you and for me today. And so friend, a question to reflect on as we come into this moment where we ready our hearts to celebrate communion is, where is it that you need to experience freedom today? Maybe for you, it's a real area of addiction that has gripped you even tighter during this time of isolation and you feel like you're slipping. Friend, I want you to reach out for whatever help that you need in this season. We will walk with you and find you the help that you need. Reach out for prayer. And as you come into this time of communion, tell God, God, I need you to save and sustain me in a way that I've never needed it before. Maybe for you, you need freedom from self-reliance. You've been trickling along and feeling like, oh, I just need to get through the summer. And I just need to get the kids back into school. And now those events have occurred and you're starting to realize how spiritually and emotionally depleted that you really are. Friend, I wanna invite you to come to the table today to find mercy and grace to help in this time of depletedness and need. When you come to the table, simply say to Jesus, I need to be nourished in the deepest parts of me. Come Holy Spirit, I need more of you. See, when we eat this bread, When we drink this cup, we are standing in a long lineage of people who have said, I am identifying with the life of Christ, which has been given for the redemption of humanity and for my redemption. The forgiveness of sins, the forgiveness of my sins. And that's why the cross is such a place of beauty and wonder for the Christian. It's a place where our freedom from the captivity of sin was won. And it's why we return here again and again and again in the communion moment. And that's also why it isn't so much about what you use or don't use for the bread. This is about what, or more importantly, who. bread points to and signifies. This little wafer or whatever you're using at home points us again to Jesus who is the bread of life. So friends, would you join with me as we ready ourselves to partake in communion together? I'm going to lead us in a prayer and then we will partake all together. This is a prayer for World Communion Sunday, which is usually celebrated the first Sunday in October. And it's a prayer by author and theologian Leonard Sweet. Would you pray with me? Wondrous God of infinite love and boundless compassion, mark our hearts with the seal of your handiwork. Create within us the joy of being in your presence. Stitch into our souls the desire to serve, the power to heal, and the capacity to love deeply and genuinely. Mold us into reservoirs of hope that we might pour out your bountiful blessings upon all your people. May this time we partake of the body and the blood of Jesus. Unite us in the community of saints who know your love and proclaim your Son with fervor and grace to a broken and hurting world. May your healing hands be the salve for ending hurt and violence in this world, even as we prepare for the next. In the holy name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, we pray. Amen.